Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Hey, do you know that feeling of, you know, you're you're about to try something, you're about to take some kind of leap of faith, and you feel like this is probably a terrible idea. Uh, that's actually how I feel every time that I'm at Canada's Wonderland. When I was in my 20s and my, and, and my friends and I went to Canada's Wonderland, we loved it. We went on every roller coaster multiple times. And every time you get to the top of the, you know, you climb up the steps and, and just before it's your turn to get into the, the car, you, uh, you got this feeling, you got this voice in your head that says like, okay, come on, like it's time to prove you're not a wuss. Heather and I took the kids just a couple of years ago and it was a very, very different experience. I spent a lot of the time with Jamie on some of the kid rides, but then we switched it up and I went with Maggie and Stella. They really wanted to go on the roller coaster. And so now I'm waiting in line for what seems like hours. You get to the top and I'm looking down 200 feet to the pavement below and I'm thinking to myself like, what am I doing here? (laughs) And like, I've got that voice that's saying, okay, now it's time to prove that you're a cool dad. And I'm like, that's not, what? That's, that's not even true. What am I, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing here. This is a terrible idea. This is not going to go well. And I'm thinking to myself, well, it's, it's, it actually isn't too late to go down the stairs. Now that day, I actually did three roller coasters with Maggie and Stella. And sure enough, I was sick and I was miserable the rest of the day, like an old mule. Um, glad the kids liked it. Maggie and Stella, they actually did like 12 roller coasters. And I decided after that, I don't care uh, if people think that I'm a wuss. I'm not doing this again. Like I would rather be a wuss, lame dad who doesn't need to lie down all day than to be a cool dad who doesn't need to be carried to my minivan. All right. That's how I feel about this now. Doesn't have the same kind of temptation over me that it used to. I am tempted in other ways, though. Like there are times when I'm facing a new opportunity, a chance to step out in faith and to kind of put myself out there. And I think, why, why am I doing this again? Like, why me? Like, isn't there, is there not somebody else more qualified for this? Um, like, even if it's something good, I can easily find reasons to convince myself to turn and go back down the stairs. And I just wonder if maybe I'm not the only person feels that way. You know what I mean? Like maybe a few of us might be able to relate to that. Now this morning we continue through our series called Tempted. This is how Jesus delivers us from evil. We're studying Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. We're learning from it, applying it to our lives. Last week we saw how the devil uh, tempted Jesus to to feed himself apart from God's plan, to, to turn stones to bread. Today Jesus is tempted to literally take a leap of faith And question that this temptation this morning raises for us is what happens when we get into that situation where we, you know, we get up onto the the top of our temple, so to speak. And and when that temptation comes, what happens when you realize your faith is maybe not as strong as you thought it was? Like what happens if we're not sure we trust God after all? So let's begin by talking about the temple. All right. The temple. We got to figure out, we just need to see what is going on here. The text says in verse five, the devil took Jesus up to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now, last week, if you're with us, you saw that that Satan just got spanked with scripture. Okay, this was an easy defeat. And and um, and now Satan's going to come back and he's going to show that he knows his Bible, too. 
And, you know, he's, so, so here he takes Jesus to the highest point in the temple of Jerusalem. Now, if you don't know what that place looks like, here's a little, here's an image of it. This is the temple that King Herod built. It's the tallest man-made structure uh, around um, in the days before, you know, steel girders and, and I-beams and, and rebar and stuff like that. Uh, the highest point of this temple is about 150 feet off of the ground below. And if you're standing up there looking down on a normal day, you see a ton of activity. And, you know, so you see there are, there are worshipers and there are priests and there's music and noise and there's pilgrims and tourists who are, are there from all over the nations. You know what I'm saying? And, and there are classes and workshops being led by, by rabbis. So this place is, is jumping. And that's where Jesus is now. The devil has him up on the temple. He, it's like he's up on the stage. Okay? It's like the devil has him up on a stage in front of a watching world. So that's what we need to know about the temple. Now, let's talk about this temptation that Jesus faces, okay? What is it that the devil wants here in this situation? What's the devil up to? Uh, we need to know that. So the, the text says uh, that, that the devil said, if you, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They'll lift, up you, they'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Okay, so that's the temptation. Like, if Jesus jumps, this ends one of two ways. You, you get that, right? If Jesus jumps, it ends one of two ways. Either a spectacular failure or a spectacular rescue. Like, if Jesus jumps, he might realize, after falling for about 10, 20 feet, that nobody's coming to rescue him. Okay, imagine that. So, he starts screaming all the way down to the ground... And the crowd parts as Jesus' body splats to the ground. And, you know, the news report the next day is going to say, unknown crazed man commits suicide in the temple complex. And that's the end of Jesus in that situation. That's the end of Jesus. His life ends in obscurity. And, and that would be a spectacular failure, we would say. But there's, there's another way that this, this might end. Because on the other hand, suppose Jesus is falling and all of a sudden... An army of angels shows up. You know, the, the skies part, the angels appear, they catch him, and they start gently, gingerly lowering Jesus to the ground. And there's fireworks, and there's doves and lasers, and the band is playing, you know, we are the champions. And everybody watches, and everybody is amazed, and everybody comes to the conclusion, surely this is the Son of God. Surely this is the Son of God. And all that Jesus has to do to make it happen is to jump. All he has to do is jump, and Jesus can skip the miracles, he can skip the sermons, he can skip the disciples, and he can skip the Pharisees, he can even skip the cross. He can do that if he just jumps. And even so, you and I, we maybe we hear that and we're just like, yeah, it's still, that's not a question. Like, that is not tempting at all. This is a no-brainer. Of course he's not going to jump. Uh, but it's not actually that simple because the devil is actually quoting scripture. He comes at Jesus with Psalm 91. In Psalm 91, the psalmist says that if you say, to, say that the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent because... He will command his angels concerning you, if you trust him, 
and uh, to guard you in all your ways. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. And it goes on and on and on. But there's some really great promises in Psalm 91. No harm, no disaster will come to you. Angels will guard you. The lion and the cobra, they won't, they can't touch you. You know, God will rescue you. God will protect you. He will be with you in trouble. He will deliver you and honor you. And you will have, uh, you will have long life and salvation. But only if you jump. You'll only know that if you jump. And even then, we're still like, I don't know. I don't think Jesus is going to go for that. Even some of us, if we're in that situation, I think there probably are some of us who are like, if we face that temptation, we're just like, not today, Satan. I know what you're doing. Take a hike. But maybe not. Maybe for some of us, maybe for some of us, that temptation would actually really, that would be really tough to navigate. See, this isn't actually the first time that a son of God is tempted to give up on God in the desert. Now, we'll come back to that in a minute. But what you need to know here is that the devil has had a lot of practice at this. You know, he has studied God's people long enough to know that we don't always trust God like we think we do. In fact, I think that some of us, we would actually prefer never to have to step out in faith at all. We would love to avoid any opportunity to to take a leap of faith, right? So, Let's just put something on the table for a minute that I think is really important for understanding this passage. Aren't there situations in life when we believe God's promises like sort of theologically, but just maybe not personally? Isn't that, doesn't that happen? Doesn't it sometimes happen that you're like, I know what God's promises are. I just don't know if they're mine, if I'm honest. Doesn't that happen? Like, like what if I put myself out there What if I step out in faith? What if I go outside my comfort zone and it just doesn't work? What if it it blows up in my face? And and you may have experienced that. You you, you might be like, I can totally relate to that. Like I I, I took a leap of faith. It blew up in my face. I, I prayed for something and I prayed and prayed and God didn't come through. You know, I confronted that person and, and, uh, who, who, who hurt me or who sinned against me and they still lost it on me. Or I apologize to somebody that I sinned against and they still won't forgive me. Or that person, that person I love still got cancer. My neighbor still hasn't come to Jesus. My, still, my kids still got sick. My loved one still died. Somebody else still got that promotion that I really, really wanted. And on and on and on. Look, I totally get that. I totally get that. And you know, when you are standing at the top of the temple looking down, that is one of those places in life where we realize we either we realize whether we trust God or not. The temple top, when we're standing there looking down, that's one of those places in life where all of our reasons, either for jumping or not, all those reasons are revealed. Okay, that's where they come out. That's where it's proven whether we trust God or not. Now, just so you know, I am not saying that if you trust God, you're going to jump every time. I don't think that that's true. In fact, that's what Satan says. Like Jesus is about to not jump because he trusts God. As an act of faith, Jesus does not jump. On the other hand, if you don't have faith that he's going to be there and can can watch out for you, you actually may not ever even climb the steps. 
If you don't trust God, you might keep miles away from the whole from the temple complex in the first place, even though that's where the nations are gathered. And so the bottom line is that Satan wants to erode our faith. He wants to destroy us. And if he can't destroy us, at least he will try to condemn us. Because maybe he tempts you with something that only a coward would say no to, or he'll tempt you with something that only a fool would say yes to, and either way he wins. Because we don't want to seem like cowards, and we don't want to seem like fools. And if we listen to him, either we're ruined, or we climb back down the stairs feeling condemned and wondering where God was when we needed him. You know what I mean? And so we need to see what Jesus did when he was in this situation, when he was being tempted. What did Jesus do? So let's look at this situation in terms of now the one being tested. Who's the one being tested? It's actually God, you know. The passage says it's God. Now, how is God being tested when we are being tempted? Let me ask that again. How is God being tested when we are being tempted? So again, the text says in verse 7 that Jesus answered, It is also written... Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So this is a quote from Deuteronomy. Um, If you don't know, God tells his people through Moses, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. So in other words, you remember Massa? You remember what happened there? Don't do that again. Now, probably a lot of us don't remember what happened at Massa. So let me just tell you quickly. It happened back in Exodus. So, um, In Exodus 17, Israel had just recently been freed from slavery in Egypt. They'd only been in the desert a short time, but they're hungry and they're thirsty and they're scared. And after all that they've seen, they complain to Moses and uh, they say, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die? Why did you bring us out here so that we could die of thirst? And Moses cries out to the Lord, all right, what, like, what am I supposed to do with these people? They're, they're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answers Moses, go in front of them, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. He does this in front of the elders, and he called that place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? So what happened at Massa was a test, okay? It's, it's the people saying, we were better off in Egypt. They've reached this conclusion, this, this assumption, we, are, we were better off in Egypt. You know how we know? Because if God were among us, he would give us what we want. And if he doesn't give us what we want, obviously he's not among us. Obviously we were better off in Moses. Even though God had given them water in a miraculous way, even though he brought them through the Red Sea, they still decide that God has failed them. He didn't, of course, but that's their conclusion because that's the test that they put God to. That's what happened in Massa. Now, let's go back to the temple. How is this like that? How is this situation like that one? It is because it's the same rigged test. It's the same rigged test because if Jesus jumps, let's say he jumps and he is rescued. Well, he becomes famous And he does so without a cross, proving we don't need God. Let's say Jesus jumps and he splats to the ground. The whole world concludes he's not God's son. 
Even if he is God's son, it doesn't help because God couldn't save him. And if he can't save him, his own son, then he definitely won't save us. And so obviously we can't trust God. Either way, God loses this test. Either way, God fails this test and the devil wins either by proving that we don't need God or by proving that we can't trust God. Do you see that? We just need to press down into that a little further. Okay, let's talk about the choice for those who are being tempted. The real choice for those being tempted. See, Jesus doesn't jump, as you, as you know, if you've read the story. He doesn't jump, but he doesn't chicken out of this, this temptation either. So what's Jesus done here? I think Jesus has refused to prove anything to Satan, but instead to prove something to us. See, the... The whole premise of this temptation, this second temptation, the whole premise of it is that if God can't save his son, then he can't save us either, right? If he can't save, if, if he can't save his son, of course we're not safe either. Like, we trust God to do the right thing with his son. We just, we just do. We, we assume that. We expect God to do the right thing with his son. And so we, know, we need, you and I need to know that the son of God is safe in order for you and I to feel safe. Isn't that true? And, and like that makes total sense. It's totally logically true, but it's an assumption. And as we've been talking about for a long time, we need to test our assumptions in light of the, in, in, against the storyline of scripture. Because as you may know, going back to Exodus, before Israel complained in the desert, before they're in the wilderness complaining and grumbling against God, they had a spectacular rescue of their own. You know, God had said uh, to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go so that he may worship me. So you heard that right. Israel is God's son. God rescued his son from Egypt. His son went into the Red Sea as fugitives. And God's son came up out of the Red Sea as a free and a redeemed people with a mission to be a light to the Gentiles. But they didn't. And they complained and they grumbled and they rebelled and they tested God. And after 40 years, uh, none of them trusted God. All of them died. And and that wasn't the end. Because years later, Jesus arrives and he's got an exodus of his own. And Jesus goes into the water and he comes up out of the other side and there's a voice that comes down and, 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 uh, and booms out and everybody hears, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And as the story goes on, when this son goes into the desert, he learns in 40 days what Israel failed to learn after 40 years, that God can be trusted. And Jesus doesn't need to jump from the the temple to prove it. Scripture said it, and and, and like, that's enough. Scripture said it, and for Jesus, that's enough. That's why I really like this quote from uh, Russell Moore. Russell Moore is an American theologian. He says, Jesus knew, based on the word of God, that he is who God says he is. And he will not obey a satanic desire to be proven and to be seen right, to be right in the here and now. We, like Jesus, we want to be protected from harm and we want to be seen to be right. 
But when things are threatened, we indict God with our grumbling. We assume that God's love entails God's visible protection right now. And when that is absent, we grow distant and prayerless towards God. We put him to the test. And I just could not agree more. I think that that is so, so true. You know, there is good reason. There is good reason why you and I need to be told not to test God. It's because we will. Right? We need to be told not to try, not to test God because we do. It is something that we do. We assume that we know how God should behave. We, we assume that we know how to interpret our circumstances. But look, we can't. We can't do that. We, when we test God, you know what's happening? We reverse roles with him. We make ourselves God's teacher so that we can teach him how to be more godly. It's, that's, that's where we uh, teach God how to behave more like the way that we think God should. Think of that. That's what happens when we put God to the test. And that's why some of the best news that you and I will ever hear is we are not qualified for that job. We are not qualified for that job. Only God sees the outcome. Uh, only, only God sees every possibility. I, like, we don't. Only, only God has a plan. Only, you know, he is the one who knows where all of this is going. And he knows all of the steps from here to there. I don't. And if it seems like he has let me down, when something happens, if it seems like he's let me down, only God knows the whole story. I don't. And he knows the design for history that's going to lead to, the, to maximum glory for God and maximum joy for me and you. I mean, I don't know that. And, and that's the problem with any test that you and I can come up with. All we know is what we see. All we know is what looks true. All we know is what feels true. I mean, think of it this way. Who of us, looking at the cross, seeing Jesus hanging, bloody, naked, dying on that cross, how many of us, looking at that scene, would have concluded, this proves that I can trust God? Would you, would you reach that conclusion? Of course you wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't. You would look at the Son of God bleeding and dying on the cross and you would say, oh my gosh, if this is what can happen to God's Son, it's hopeless. None of us is safe. And that would make a ton of sense. That would be totally logical, except it is totally, totally wrong. Because God has told us what the cross means. He's told us what the cross means. He says, 1 John, God is love. This is how God showed us his love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So we don't need to guess. We don't need to translate our past and our, translate our circumstances. We look to the cross and we see the true son of God uh, whom the father loves. The true son of God with whom the father is well pleased and he is suffering and he is bleeding and dying as a ransom and as a substitute. And nobody expected that. Nobody expected that, not even Satan. And that's why Jesus doesn't jump. Jesus makes the choice, I know who I am, I know why I'm here, and doing tricks and uh, entertaining you and testing God and amusing an audience, that is not it. I am not here to prove anything to you. 
And that's the choice that Jesus made. And that is a choice that you and I can make when we're tempted too. When we are at the top of our temple, okay, and we have this opportunity before us, faith probably doesn't say jump. Faith probably is going to say, what has God said? What is written? And, 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 and that's the choice for those who are tempted. Listen, I don't know what opportunities are coming for us in, in 2021, but I know that there are some. Okay, I, uh, whether we're talking about for you as an individual, for your family, for your mission here in Hamilton or where you are, for us as a, as a church, opportunities are coming in 2021. And Satan is going to be right there and he's going to test us or he's going to tempt you and he's going to say, are you sure? You sure you're up to this? Like, are you kidding? You know what you've done. Like, you would be a fool to try this thing. You can't trust God with this. You should climb down those stairs and go back home. And I just want to plead with you, don't listen to him. Resist him and he will flee. Don't let your past failures, don't let your fears, don't let your circumstances be your Bible. Don't let those be your scriptures. That is actually not how the Christian life works. Because the gospel doesn't, the gospel says that it wasn't by preventing his son's death that God proves we can trust him. It's because of it. Amen? Let me say that again. It wasn't by preventing his son's death that God has proven that we can trust him. It's because of his son's death. And Jesus didn't just jump and, and survive a fall from the top of a temple. Our sin crushed him. Spiritually, it said, scripture says he was crushed for our iniquity. When he died, he went all the way down, not just to the temple floor, but into death itself. And he took our sin there and he blew death up from the inside. And he conquered Satan. He conquered death. And he is alive and he is with us. And that's how we know that we can trust God with every opportunity, every temptation that we face in 2021 and all of the years that we live. We can trust him. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.